Lights, camera, fireworks as Georgia candidates take to the debate stage on TV. Ballot drop-off boxes were not legal until after Brad made them. No, you have to read the code. They're in there. No, no, Brad. I've read the code. You haven't. No, listen. In some cases, candidates attacked opponents who weren't there, like in the Republican debate for a U.S. Senate seat. Where the heck is Herschel Walker? And how on earth does he think that he can beat Raphael Warnock in a general election? Then a bombshell that could change the face of the 2022 elections. We have breaking news to report on a historic Supreme Court decision that could determine the legality of abortion in all 50 states. The U.S. Supreme Court looks to be on a path to overturn Roe versus Wade nearly 50 years after the landmark decision. Abortion went from being kind of on the political back burner to front and center. Georgia Republican candidates doubled down and went further than the restrictive abortion rules Georgia has already passed. I support a total ban. I do not believe in exceptions for rape and incest. What does the possibility of overturning Roe v. Wade mean for Georgia's elections? I'm Raul Bally, WABE politics reporter. I'm Susanna Capaluto, politics editor at WABE in Atlanta. I'm Emma Hurt, reporter for Axios in Atlanta. I'm Sam Greenglass, WABE politics reporter. And this is Georgia Votes 2022, a podcast about the 2022 midterm elections from WABE. I vote because it's a privilege. I vote it's a duty. because I want to make an and impact. I vote oh, my because I want leaders who care about voting my future. Voting is the gift of so freedom. So voting matters to me because I believe there is value in my voice. So now, for the first time, we have the whole gang here, all four of us, on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so why are we hearing so many very extreme positions in this primary? It seems to be more than in previous years. Susanna, this is about candidates trying to separate themselves from the rest of the field. You know, we've been talking about David Perdue trying to separate from Brian Kemp, talking about, in this case, a special session being called to do a complete abortion ban. And then you've heard from some of the Senate candidates in our in our show open. And again, they're trying to separate themselves from the other candidates in the field with, for example, talking about, you know, the exceptions for rape and incest uh, when it comes to abortion. So in the end, this is about candidates trying to separate themselves. And to me, this isn't really surprising, right? I mean, we've seen this rightward shift in the Republican Party for years now, and that's only been accelerating. And when, as Raul mentioned, you're trying to stand out in a crowded primary and you're trying to appeal to the most conservative voters, I mean, this becomes kind of the obvious tack to take when you're standing up there on a debate stage. The thing is that, you know, Georgia is more competitive than maybe it's been in years. And so some of these hardline positions are not going to help come November when you are trying to appeal to the broadest possible electorate, not just as we've talked about on this podcast, the basiest of base voters. And I mean, four years ago, many people were shocked by Governor Kemp's ad about with his shotgun and pointing it at a guy who was maybe trying to date his daughters. But it worked, right? It got everyone's attention. So these stances can move the needle. And the other thing I'll just say is Republicans are coming off of 20 years of being in power. And so we're seeing these factions become more and more clear within the party as it loses its grip on the state. 
So the most extreme positions, of course, came in the Senate debate, which literally happened on the day after the leak. So they were all talking about abortion and there were only men on stage and they pretty much all said there should be no exception for abortions, even incest or rape. Even Herschel Walker, who wasn't on stage, had said so. And this kind of extreme position just must be a gift to Georgia Democrats, is it? Well, Democrats think that this ruling could energize their voters. Uh, I mean, right after this draft ruling leaked out, Democrat Jen Jordan, who is running for attorney general, she sent off a tweet that called Georgia the next battleground for reproductive freedom. And she's already been pledging to fight restrictive abortion laws in the state courts. This was not going to be front and center, obviously. You know, we were talking about pocketbook issues and consumer protection and voting and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes you don't pick the fight, the fight picks you. And just one more voice I want to bring in here, that's Gina Kelly. And she literally just signed up to volunteer with Jordan's campaign spurred by this abortion news. And she has already done a shift texting other women voters. I can't do anything else about this, but vote and encourage other people to vote. But it really did feel good to be able to connect with women and say, hey, you know, we would love to have you join us in supporting this candidate. And... As Raul mentioned, Purdue has come out saying he supports a total abortion ban. And I wonder if Kemp will follow his lead or feel pressured to do that. Um, We don't know how much overturning Roe in the end will actually move the needle come Election Day. November is still a long time from now. And, you know, issues like persistent inflation or some other issue that we don't even know about right now could end up outweighing everything else. So I still think a lot of this is up in the air. And pro-life advocates that I've been talking to since the leak also believe that their voters will be energized as well. One of the conversations I had was with Cole Musio, who's with the Frontline Policy Council. That's a Christian advocacy group. And this is how he laid out the argument. And all of a sudden now, pro-lifers have an opportunity to decide what happens at the ballot box, to elect pro-life people who can then really implement pro-life laws. So this is a galvanizing, energizing thing for this movement, unlike anything we've ever seen before. And let me go in depth on this thinking. The likely Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade will not ban abortion nationally, but it will kick the issue to states. So then the logic is state elections for governor, state attorney general, you just mentioned Jen Jordan's race, the legislative races become much more important because as you just heard, The battle over abortion rights are going to be fought on the state level, the local level. You even heard Stacey Abrams, a presumptive Democratic nominee for governor, talk about it on MSNBC that not only does her race become important, but races down the ballot come important. If they are willing to limit it at six weeks now, if they see trigger laws that allow for unilateral ban, I have no doubt they will try to pursue that. And so it is critical that we not only elect me as the next governor of Georgia, but that we use this opportunity to elect a state house and a state Senate that will let us roll back these egregious laws. Even if you do have a potential Democratic governor in Stacey Abrams, there's only so much that she could do on her own to undo existing law. You know, this 2019 restrictive abortion law will likely be allowed to take effect not long after the Supreme Court rules on Roe. And, you know, there have already been calls, as we've talked about, for 
Governor Kemp to call a special session and pass a total abortion ban. And that could happen, you know, this summer, well before the governor's office changes hands or before the election, you know. And so if those laws are in place before a new governor takes office, there's just not much that they could do without also controlling the legislature, which is unlikely to flip. This Supreme Court leak was obviously a big moment in U.S. history. And Emma, you were in Washington, D.C. this week and spent some time at the Supreme Court. What was that like? It was really fascinating to be there and and feel the really the tension, um, the anger from protesters, the shock, because I think, you know, the the idea of Roe v. Wade being overturned is something that's been in the ether for a long time, given the makeup of the Supreme Court. But nobody was ready for it. This news right this moment. And so the shock was really uh, stark to me. The protests were grew um, just as the day after progressed. They it was thousands of people in front of the Supreme Court. But it also took me right back to our debate on this in 2019 when HB 481 was passed. And Rule was there, too. You were there, Susanna. And it was so tense mm-hmm. and so emotional. And I mean, we had women dressed up with red capes from The Handmaid's Tale trying to make a comment about being forced, you know, their bodies being controlled by the government. You had Republican lawmakers in tears on the, on the House floor talking about why they didn't feel like they could vote for it. And, and so I just I was just thinking back to that moment, because at that time, that law was frozen, as we know, in the courts pending this Supreme Court decision. Mm-hmm. And now here it comes roaring back to relevance. You know, remembering you know, that debate and, the, and you're right. It was the tension and it was so late at night. I mean, if I remember right, the, you know, the debate was happening in the 10 o'clock hour into the 11 o'clock hour. You, you mentioned the, you know, the, you know, the protesters who were dressed up. I remember the law enforcement present. It was massive in, in the building. And, and I also remember the moment where Renita Shannon, a state representative, wouldn't give up the well. Uh, her mic was cut off, and and eventually her fellow representatives had to bring her down from uh, from the podium. For those of us who were there, that was a long night, a late night. And you mentioned uh, former state representative Deborah Silcox's speech, and and here's a little bit of that. I have heard from thousands of people in the state and in my district, thousands of women. And I have heard from obstetricians who practice in this state and genuinely do not want to be criminalized for caring for women in our state for what they do. And so I rise to vote against this bill and I rise for my constituents and for those people because I was sent here by them to vote for them. That bill only passed the House at one point by one vote. It was a really tense, close debate. And now here we are, and people are talking about banning abortion completely without Mm -hmm. any exceptions. It's really incredible how this debate has evolved politically in Georgia so fast. It's quite the evolution, and it's an issue that's not going to go away anytime soon. Let's take a break. I'm Susanna Capaluto, and you're listening to Georgia Votes 2022. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. 
NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Welcome back to Georgia Votes 2022. Today, the whole gang is here. Emma Heard, Raul Bali, and Sam Greenglass. Early voting is underway, and it's been doing okay. People are energized, it seems. So, yeah, uh, a record-breaking number of voters showed up to vote in person on Monday. Uh, That was the first day of early voting for these May primaries. Um, Almost 60,000 people cast their ballots during the first two days of early voting. There were even more that have continued to come out throughout the week. Um, In those first two days, more than 12,000 were Democrats, 15,000 Republicans. A few thousand mail-in ballots have also started to trickle in. Those were roughly split between Democrats and Republicans. And, you know, there's still plenty more in-person early voting to go before it wraps up on May 20th. So we are going to keep eyes on those numbers. Okay, explain to our listeners why there are more Republicans showing up than Democrats. Look, the Republican races are sucking up all the oxygen in the room. You've got the big races at the top. Governor and U.S. Senate, while uh, Stacey Abrams has no opponent and Senator Warnock has what I would say minimal opposition. So and when you go down further down the ballot, you've got the Republican and Democratic Secretary of State's race, Lieutenant Governor. But when you have such big races at the top and all the media attention, I think that's why you're seeing more Republicans than Democrats right now. Anybody have any theory on if uh, this enthusiasm amongst Republicans is good for Brian Kemp or not so good for Brian Kemp? I think looking at the numbers, because they have become so consistent that it, it, it leans towards towards Governor Kemp right now because his numbers are pretty consistent. You see David Perdue's numbers go up and down. Um, but but I think if things are, are staying the way they are, I think, think Governor Kemp's in pretty good shape. Yeah, we have to be always careful about polls, but when you take them all together and you get a big picture, that is what the picture shows. So the more people that show up to vote, the more you can, you don't just get the fringes. Is that the idea? You know, I don't know about that, but what is also interesting to me, and in, I guess we'll see if this is really true, is the anecdotal strategic voter in Georgia. It's an open primary, so you can pull a Republican primary ballot even if you're a Democrat. So if you're a Democrat and you're not feeling super strongly about the Democratic primaries on your ballot, but you feel really strongly that Kemp should be the Republican nominee or Purdue, uh, you could you could certainly get in, hop in that race or hop in that ballot. Because I guess there's more at stake with the, quote, Trump ticket on the Republican side that some people might be compelled to just vote against it. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Democratic voter who hates Trump, you're going to want to defeat his candidates as quickly as possible in a primary ballot. And if you don't have a race that you really care about on your primary ballot, then why not? And as we kind of talked about last week, there's not the same ideological divide between candidates on the Democratic side 
of the aisle. Whereas with Republicans, there is a bit more of a line there between the Trump endorsement, between the embrace of lies about the 2020 election. It's a little bit more cut and dry than you might find on the Democratic ballot. Absolutely. Okay, quickly before we go, what will you be looking for next week? So I'm just excited to get on the campaign trail as we get into crunch time. Um, not every candidate has had that, you know, grueling schedule of daily meet and greets and rallies. And I feel like that's only going to pick up as we get closer and closer. I'm excited to spend time with some of the candidates that I haven't seen on the trail yet and to start to see if any undecided voters have start to make up their minds as we get closer and closer to primary day. Sam, undecided voters. There are so many, and, and here's where I'm, I'm getting that vibe. You know, I've talked to candidates who have been sharing their internal polling, and depending on the race, they're seeing undecideds anywhere between 30 and 50%. And, and I've also talked to voters. They have strong opinions on the big races, like governor and U.S. Senate, and they're equally as undecided on the other races, even some of the congressional races. So to me, you know, what I'm already starting to think about down the road when we hit, uh, you know, election, I mean, primary day in a couple of weeks, there are going to be some surprises. There are going to be some folks getting to runoffs that were not expected. You know, for example, maybe the Democratic race for lieutenant governor or secretary of state. So, you know, th that undecided voter thing is, is something I'm really trying to put my ear to the ground on right now. And Emma, you'll just be doing more of the same out and about on the campaign trail, right? Trying to keep up with as much uh, as we can, trying to talk to as many voters and get to as many final last push campaign events. Well, that's it for this edition of Georgia Votes 2022. Thank you all for sharing your time. Thanks, as always, Susanna. See you next week. It was great to have the whole gang together. Georgia Votes 2022 is a production of the WABE Politics Desk. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at georgiavotes at wabe.org. Our engineer today was Richard Firth. We'll be back next week. Oh.